in the heart of a champion there is a fire and the flames are controlled by burning desire to be the best you Welcome to the Code of Man podcast. Thank you for listening today. This is Mike Barnett. I am sometimes known as Overtrek, if we can actually get back out on the trail. But it's been far too long. Something under four weeks. Something under. And of course, that is the ever-scratchy voice of Easy Target over behind the microphone and the soundboard. That's me. I'm, I'm I'm baffled today, to be honest. I mean, to start things off, let's just go ahead and clear the air. It's it's mid-afternoon here at the undisclosed location. Actually, still technically early afternoon, and I'm not used to being in here recording at this time of day. So, generally, this is siesta time. Yes, along those lines. But when does it transition from early afternoon to mid-afternoon? When where's the difference? When does it transition? Three o'clock. That's mid-afternoon. Yep. So when's late afternoon? I would say 5 o'clock. So when's early evening? 6 p.m. That's just way too confusing. But the more you know. Yeah, well, it's not confusing unless you're a millennial or younger. Oh, my goodness. Let's move right along. Anyway, anyway, got a special guest with us today for today's podcast episode. This is a special episode. Let me get on to it because we do want to really cover a lot of ground today. Our special guest today is none other than, let's see, let me get this right, soon-to-be-retired mm. Master Sergeant Aaron J. Bibb of the United States Army. I was hoping that you would include the J, because that's important. Yes, it stands for... Joseph. Yes. A lot of biblical names there. Yes. And Bibb. <laughs> it's actually a piece of a Viking ship. The person who had manned such pieces was manning the Bibb. And so that's where that name came from. You know, we could end the podcast always, right now and feel like we accomplished something. Manning the Viking ship. Manning the bib on the Viking ship. Hmm. Now, that could could or could not be true. I'll leave it up to you and the listeners to find out. I think of overalls. I'm sure you'll, uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll Google it later. I will. Hey, speaking of Googling it, just out of curiosity, how old are you? I am 41. Oh, never mind then. Oh, yeah, you're outnumbered. It's, <sighs> this is this is this is unusual. Most of the time, I'm the outnumbered one in here. If I've got Napoleon, an easy target here, but today I've got another generation Xer. No, hang on. What year were you born? 1979. I share a birthday with Jimmy Carter, former President Ronald Reagan. By the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He's right on the cusp of the cutoff because I'm pretty sure 1980 clicked in millennials. I don't know about don't that. Is it 80 or is it 85? 85 sounds better. Yeah. Why don't you Google it later? I won't do that Give right us a now. full report. I will. I'll debrief on uh, next week's. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's officially now introduce Aaron Bibb as our special guest on today's Code of Man podcast. Aaron and I do go back a few years, and a short part of his military career we shared together. But clearly the most significant part. (laughs) 
It's right up there. It really is. And 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 I'm joking about that in one sense, but because I know things going on in your life during that time, that actually was a pretty significant time in your military career. And I'm sure some of that will come up, not the part about me, but what the Lord was doing in your life during that time. 20 years, getting ready to celebrate 20 years of active military service. Well, first of all, introduce yourself. You know, where you're at currently, what's going on. I'm currently in an undisclosed location in Alabama, where I serve as Not a, to be mistaken for this undisclosed location. Right, this yeah. is a completely different <laughs> undisclosed location, so do not go to Alabama looking for this location because you will not find it. But I'm uh, currently a senior military instructor uh, with Reserve Officer Training Corps. I've been doing that for a couple of few years now, and that, that's my last, uh, basically my last contribution to the force will be that job. And then I will be, as you said, next year, about mid-year, riding off into the sunset of retirement and uh, moving, moving to a... Retirement undisclosed location. Yeah, and you just, south of here. You were just telling us that you're 41 years old. Only in really the military mm-hmm. community do people celebrate retirement in their early 40s. So that's true, and it really is significant in the fact that you know I'm going to go seek a another you know career, I guess you'd say, when I get out of the army. But I really got more flexibility on what I have to do versus what I need to do. Because of the because the retirements the army affords me, and I'll tell you, believe it or not, twenty years goes by pretty quick. Here we are going to talk about your career and some things that you have learned uh, through that 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 would be applicable to most men wherever they are in life. When we start talking about things like you know your deployments and things like that, I mean, you got a whole to use an easy target word. You've got a plethora of experiences mm. that I never got just by virtue of. The, the time as well as your jobs and what you were doing. And you are also, you are also, and I know part of what you're going to be doing when you get out is ministry. Yes. Uh, you're also uh, in the ministry preaching. Anybody that needs to schedule A.J. Bibb for preaching, you said May of next year? Oh, I could be available now. So <laughs> go ahead and. Not uh, tonight, though. Not tonight. Not, maybe not tonight or location. through Saturday, but I am definitely open and available. Uh, I can move some things around. And if you want AJ Bibb's contact information, reach us at codeofmangen127 at gmail.com since we have not given any kind of contact information. Right. I want to I wanna go back 20 years ago, and I want to take a 41 year old soon-to-be retiree, and I'll go back 20 years ago and look at Private Bib, Private mm. A.J. Bib. If Private Bib had known fill-in-the-blank 20 years ago, what would he have changed? What would be different now? I would have been an electrician. Now, one of the influences that uh, growing up, I, I always kind of had a bent towards the military from just family service and all that stuff. And I, my oldest brother was an infantryman for a few years. And I just, I thought he hung the moon and everything. And so when it came time for me to make a decision, what I was going to do in my life. And I decided on military. So he, again, he was a grunt, 11 Bravo, uh, sniper carried heavy packs, just all that. So he told me, whatever you do, do not join to be an infantryman, go be an electrician, go be a heat and air man, go do anything but combat arms duty. And I said, well, that, that's what I was doing Currently, the, the family business was heating air and electrical. I was thinking, man, I'm not going to join the Army to go do what I'm doing now. So I joined and ended up being a uh, calf scout by trade for the for my career. But if I think if, honestly, if I could go back now, knowing what I know now, 
Um, as a private, I think I would tell myself to start thinking about life after the army, like right now. Um, because again, time does go by very quickly. And now I wouldn't change being a combat armed soldier, um, because I think that I enjoyed that part of the, you know, you talked about the, the toughness of it and, and different things like that. I enjoyed that part of it, but I would definitely try to give myself some perspective. Cause I think you and I were, were joking earlier about, I'd sent you a picture of me, um, walking down the front steps of my barracks building in Fort Knox, Kentucky in 2001, when I graduated from uh, basic training and I have like my duffel bags and I, my, my green uniform and just have like this look of just this look in my eyes of like, I'm about to go take on the world. <laughs> I think the the key thing that you bring out there is that, and and it applies to all of us, right? I mean, I'm I'm 43 now, but in 20 years I'm going to be 63, and I I really while we're not promised tomorrow, mm-hmm. we still must prepare today for that tomorrow. Easy Target will love this because I'm going to take some pressure off of him. Sweet. We do give those younger than us a harder time about that. And the reality is, is no matter where you are in the walk of life, as men, we've got to be preparing for our future because I think it's not just about us, but it's about those who are looking to us, uh, mm-hmm. who depend upon us. And, of course, you know, you're a family man. All through those years, you've also been involved with other soldiers, their families. So the big learn. That's the big takeaway, right? Now, Start early thinking about the future. Right. Now, and here, here's what really saved me during that whole process because I was, I turned 23 in basic. So I was, I was a little older than your normal, like 18 year old, obviously by math, but I was a little older than what you would normally see as a soldier coming in. Thank God for that. Um, because I definitely wouldn't have been, been able to handle it. But even then at 23 years old, I was still quite reckless, quite just in about a year. Matter of fact, a year almost to the day is when I got married from joining the army. And because of that, that acted as a forcing function for me to have to basically, I call it being domesticated. My wife domesticated me. Um, and hmm. thank God for that because she kind of, she kind of tapered, um, you know, that, that kind of immaturity and recklessness out of me. And like you said, I, and then I had a daughter shortly thereafter. And so my perspective changed a little bit. So there were some things that took place early in my career, but I see it, like you said, I see soldiers all the time, young men all the time, they don't have a revelation until they're 30, 35, you know, 40 years old where they're thinking, man, I need to plan for the future. Now, if, if I'd have known when I was 18, 19, 20, you know, Hey, put some money in an IRA. It doesn't take much. And over time it's going to accumulate. Next thing you know, 20 years later, and you're going to have uh, you're going to have something to be able to do something with later in your life. But you, I, I didn't really think about that kind of stuff. So we know Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, sufficient unto the days the evil thereof. And mm-hmm. we all understand that means like focus on today, today. Live today, today. Don't let tomorrow's concerns beat you down. And yet at the same time, he also tells this parable about, about the servants that were entrusted with these talents. And the wicked servant was the one who didn't do anything with it, didn't Correct. prepare yeah. to, to advance. And so certainly we could, I, I think we could label that under, hey, the guys listen to this. There's some forward thinking that needs to happen in your life. Think about the future and where you're headed. So a lot of younger men, they're really believing in their dreams, okay? A lot of older men are regretting they didn't chase their dreams. Mm. For you was mm. this 20 years, how, how, where does it fall into that in the, world, in the realm of you know, living a dream, fulfilling goals? How, how does it play out for you now looking back on it? So I really, I did again, there's always something in me as a, as a young kid that, always wanted to be a soldier, but I really joined the army out of almost a necessity. Mm-hmm. 
because my life was going in a very poor direction. Um, everybody around me was falling by the wayside in jail or rehab or things like that. And my dad just had a very honest conversation with me. He said, you need a plan. You need to do something in your life because you work, you make good money, you don't do anything with your life. You need to do something. So I thought the easy answer is join the military. And it was. It was an easy answer. But when I got into that, I realized that, I, one, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that lifestyle and that, that dynamic. And two, I was good at it. I just, I, I took to it and I was just, it was just something that came naturally to me. And so then my goal or my dream became to be, Hey, I want to make it as, as high and as far. Like I want all the badges. I want the, all the rank. I want to just, I want to just do everything I can do in the military. And that, that was my mindset at about the 11 year marks when that changed as far as uh, my, and it's because of deployments and stuff. And we might talk about that a little bit later, but my mentality towards what I was willing to sacrifice for that success changed because I was willing to sacrifice time with family. Um, I was volunteering for schools. I was volunteering to do anything I could do in order to gain that. But I was, I was doing it under the guise of, well, the more I do for my, more I do for my career, the better I can do for my family, which to an extent would be true, but I, I didn't have a good balance. And then about the 11 year mark, that all kind of changed. My mind, my mind kind of shifted focus. And then my goal became, Okay, well, I'm going to, at some point, as I got closer to the ability to retire, that became my goal and my dream. And now I'm about to fulfill part of those, that dream is, you know, 20 years of service and, and moving on to something else. I wonder if the guy, I'm just throwing out arbitrary age here, the guy who's 64 right now and he's looking back on his life, well, let's say 70, he's retired from whatever he's done. He's looking back on his life and he says, you know, I never chased the dream of being a NASCAR driver. You know, I never became a big record label maker, whatever, <laughs> big recording artist. Yeah, there we what go. I'm looking for. Uh, but he's looking back on his life and he feels regret that he didn't fulfill that. Could it be then, I'm just listening to what you're saying, that, that his per, he just needs a perspective change. Right. Like, look at what you have done with your life. Who have you impacted? Who did you take care of and provide for? And how did you bring them along in life and of course ultimately we know it's what we do to bring glory to God that matters the most but I think what I'm hearing from you is that a guy can look back on his life and say hey it's more than the, the for your in your world the, the ribbons and the rank mm -hmm. absolutely so uh, the older brother I alluded to earlier I'm not sure that there's a uh, conversation that goes by that he doesn't if we're talking about the military he doesn't say you know what man you know I'd have been retired this many years if I'd have stayed in or and I hear that from my dad too. He's in the military, or, or folks that that served but didn't do the the twenty. When I when it comes up in conversation, like oh yeah, I got, there's always that tone of regret in their voices. But like you said, I think that's if they if they look back at uh, what they actually are doing, you know, look look what God has done in your life. That you know, you have your wife, you have your children. You have, he has things that he would have never had. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it does go back to perspective. I think everybody has to come to that point. It's a mature, maturing point in life. And it is not a good thing for a man who is older in his later years to still be living in regret. And so I think if we can encourage them to get some fresh perspective, look back on it, and, and you know, I'm thinking about what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Now, I guess I'm skipping a lot there, but he's basically laid out all his accomplishments that he had had in his right. past life. Put it in the lingo of our conversation. Paul had earned all the medals. He had all the rank in the Jewish religion. He was the best of the best. 
But he, when he got the right perspective, which is that life is about Christ, he said, all of that became his dung, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's very few things in life where the word forget is a positive. But in this point that you're making, that we're making in this discussion, is to the man who looks back, don't, don't live in regret. Forget what's behind. And look, it ain't just about forgetting the mistakes you've made. It's about forgetting the accomplishments of the past. Yeah. It, you know, let it all. It's, it's the Lord's, and that's what Paul was after. You've got, to, you've got to put effort into it. Life mm-hmm. requires some effort, some discipline, some diligence, all those things you know, that come with military life. So regret's been brought up. What about for a 20-year Army guy looking back? Where do you look back and say, you know what? I failed in this area. I wish I would have done differently. I have a regret about this. What's something that comes to mind there? I think probably that the biggest thing that I would put my finger on there is, you know, I've, I've held leadership positions and I've done it successfully, but there's a lot of times I look back and go, man, I wasn't really, I wasn't a really good leader because you know yourself better than anybody else. And you know, when you're, when you're being selfish, you're putting your needs before somebody else's or you're, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was by the army standards, a good leader, but I wish for multiple reasons, I wish I had, come to know the Lord sooner because as you probably know, that's one of the things I struggled with as an army leader was pre that my soldiers used to call it pre Jesus. They'd say, I wonder what pre Jesus first start bib was like, you know, um, because I'd had a, unfortunately had a reputation. I, I had soldiers that were, uh, were part of my organization who I, I was a drill sergeant for when I was not a saved man. And they, they would, they had things associated with me and my name and my reputation that were for that old life that were not good. You know, after, you know, living a life of, uh, or starting to follow Christ, I thought, well, how am I going to be an effective leader in an organization like this that prides itself on, you know, being rough and tumble and, and that type of, of personality? How am I going to, how am I going to couple my faith in Christ with leadership in the army? They're not compatible. That's what I thought. I was like, they're just not going to be compatible. How am I going to yell at this guy when I'm supposed to be Christ-like? I mean, Christ wouldn't yell. Well, that was just me showing my ignorance of the Bible and what, you know, biblical masculinity is. So I think you you said it earlier about impacting people's lives, right? So one of the best things about the military is the impact that you get to make on people. And I'm talking about just like, not just people, but families and really generations. I mentioned the the drill sergeant thing. Everybody, I can't tell you the name of my recruiter, but everybody can tell you the name of the drill sergeant because they make an immediate lasting impact on their lives. And I was able to do that in my career also. And then I have soldiers that I trained as a drill sergeant who got to go back and be drill sergeants too. And there are lessons that I taught them. I'll share one with you. This guy, is a, he's a sergeant first class now. He was a private when I was a drill sergeant. But I, on day zero, you got to teach these guys how to do everything. You got to teach them how to clean the latrines, right, or the bathrooms. Easy target. That's a bathroom. Okay. I, I got you. I've, I've picked up on a lot of this okay, vernacular good, over the good. last couple of years. I didn't know if I was going to have to spell that out. For, anyway, um, so I would go in there and say, and I would take my hand and I would stick it into the toilet 
in the toilet bowl. Uh, splash my hand around with all the. They were all in the latrine watching. Of course, I'm in character. I got you know I'm 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 rough, tough Joe Sergeant Bib. I say, look, Private, if I can stick my hand in this toilet, then you can too. There's no reason for this toilet not to be clean. Makes sense. And this one, this one guy. Now he's been a drill sergeant. He's a sergeant first class in the army. Several years removed. That is one of the lessons that he has never forgotten. We've actually been in organizations together since then. He, and he said, "I will never forget you sticking your hand in that toilet bowl." And he goes, that made such an impact on me that you were you as a leader were willing to stick your hand in a toilet bowl to make a point. He's like, "I've never forgot that." Now I've I've used that myself and all this other stuff. So the impact that you get to make on people which I was able to make even as a lost man, as a drill sergeant, but I thought, man, good night. What more of an impact could I have made following the Lord and use it? Because I did figure it out that, that you can be, you can love Christ and you can follow him and not only be a leader, but you can be an even better leader. And hey, spoiler alert, you can actually be a tough leader. You can actually, you, you can do all the things that the army requires you to do and still, uh, and still not violate your, your Christian conscience so, or scripture. So there is, there's an answer to one of the things that I wanted to ask you. There are certain myths out there, urban legends, whatever you want to call them. One of the things that you'll encounter is, for me as a chaplain, oh, well, I mean, what did you do when they told you you couldn't pray in Jesus' name? I mean, did they let you preach the Bible in there? You know, it's like, right. yeah. I mean, that none of that stuff's true. That's all stuff. That's the age of the internet stuff. But what you brought out was, you know, the the belief that man, everybody, all those sergeants in the army, they're just like Sergeant Carter. You know, they're mm-hmm. just what you do look a little bit like Sergeant Carter. Uh, for those that are listening to the podcast and can't see, but uh, anyway. I guess that that's that's one of the myths out there that you can't be a tough leader and be a Christian at the same time. I was going to ask because I had a an English teacher in high school that was in the army. Well, <laughs> as you can probably tell, he wasn't like my favorite teacher, but anyhow, he was a good guy. But he sorry, t- Mister Jones. <laughs> he all he always told us about um, different military stories and, and things. He was deployed in Germany for the, for his longest time, but he always told us, you know, Christian young men. Really think twice before you join the before you join the military because mm-hmm. even in and I think he was I think he was even pre Vietnam was was during, was his was his tenure he said and even back then the mil the military is a very difficult place to live as a Christian just because of all the influences and everything that is going on around you so I know you enlisted pre Jesus yes met the Lord during your time of service there. What was the perception or, or what was the, the real struggle of being part of that culture and then now all of a sudden being counterculture while still being enlisted? It's, it's interesting because when I met the Lord, when I was born again, I was in, uh, had been in a unit for at least several months, if not a year, and did not have a testimony of a saved man because I wasn't. And I was just living like I always lived and and then something very miraculous happened and just very dynamic. And I was, I just, I was changed. I was different. As a matter of fact, that's the time I'd met, met Mike was during that time period and started going to Bible study over there with him. And I actually, where we actually studied the whole Bible in Jesus name, actually the whole Bible in Jesus name. (laughs) And it was, it was amazing. So I, I remember going to coworkers and like 
apologizing to them for how I'd been acting toward them or just, I was making, you know, I was trying to reconcile different things. I remember during my promotion uh, ceremony to master sergeant, I actually said in a conference room full of people, Hey, I know some of you have noticed that I'm not the same way that I used to be. And the reason is because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I'm not the same person. So I used that opportunity to just share my faith, which again, going back to the, the urban legends of, you know, you can't talk about G well, you absolutely can as a soldier. I can talk about what Jesus has done in my life all day long. But what I ran into was, and I didn't go into my, my next job. I never went to any job, you know, slinging a Bible around saying, all right, Hey, everybody be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Stop talking like that. I'm a Christian. You, you need to stop. I just lived like a Christian and they, they would pick up on it. Really, it was all positive as far as my end of it. The bottom line is is that even Easy Target's question reveals that, that that myth is alive and well, and in particular in our churches. Because I can't tell you how much I heard that when I was first leaving the mission field that I was a part of back in 2007, and 2008 was the transition period, and I would, I would communicate with pastors and church members what I was doing, going to the Army to serve as a chaplain. And, you know, that, that was the thing I encountered all the time was, well, you know, but you can't, can you talk about the Lord in there? Can you do that? You know, people really don't understand that it's a two-sided coin. It is true. The military life is a life and a culture in and of itself that is inside the world but not of the world, if, if you know what I'm saying. But at the same time, I've told people, any job you can get on the outside, you can get inside the Army. I mean, the Army has it all. So there's, there's a lot of things that cross over that people don't realize. And one of the things that crosses over is, hey, if I walk in as a civilian, I, I, I walk into my job down at UPS where Easy Target used to work, and I'm a shift supervisor. But I walk in there and I say, hey, come here, come here, come here. Now, as a supervisor at UPS, I can't get up and preach a sermon right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's no different than in the army. If I'm the, you know, the platoon sergeant, I'm not going to gather my platoon together under on their time where right. they're being expected to work and, and preach a sermon to them. But if a soldier comes to talk to me, I can tell him all about my life story and what the Lord's done for me. So I think that really leads us into another thing that I wanted us to talk about a little bit was, and, and you've really been hitting this the whole time, but advice to young men that are thinking about the military, because what Easy Target heard from that, that teacher we, we all hear in the church setting a lot. and So what, what about the Christian young man who's thinking about military service? What would you say to him? So I actually get this question a lot. Not to burst American people's bubble, but the Army does have a dark culture. It just it, it, But like you said, so does the world. Absolutely. You know, I think something that we've done, and you, me, you and I have talked at length over the years about this, about separating our life from secular, from spiritual. Now, how much praying do you do when somebody's like, yeah, I'm going to go apply at UPS? You know, I, maybe you did, I don't know. But, I mean, in general, do Christians really seek the Lord diligently when they're just going to get a job? Or they just say, I'm qualified, I'm going to go apply? Yep. Um, or they do they do it because they feel called to that organization? So what I would used to say is, and this is still true to a point, it is always better in everything to go into anything as a strong Christian. It just makes everything better. You're going to get attacked no matter what by the, by the wicked one, right? By the culture. 
so going to the military is going to offer some unique challenges because it it is not like UPS. It is not like working on the construction site, which you can find evil, wickedness, bad influences, or good influences in, in any arena, but the culture of the military does have some things that I, I used to call it like this. When I, when I joined the Army, I said it's like college with guns. You hmm. know, had all the booze, all the late nights, all the all the fraternization, everything, but we'd get up in the morning to go shoot guns. It sounds free. like sounds like your life, only without the booze and the guns, just staying up late all night, fraternizing. The undisclosed militia. Well, he, it's Christian nightclub. He likes Christian nightclub. Yeah, he makes up for me. He okay. makes fun of me for staying up late because you know I'm still functional after eight thirty. <laughs> wow, what's that like? All right, so but here, here's here's a thought that I had. Right when he was a young man, he he knew. But oh, absolutely. He's forty one now. Yeah, no, it's eight thirty. I that's forgot. Like, he's almost retired. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, so here's what I think. Here's what I think I would tell a young Christian man that was wanting to join the military. Because you hear this all the time. You've probably said it. Uh, we need Christian mechanics. We need Christian UPS workers. We need Christian teachers. We need, you know, not everybody is called to full-time Christian service. And I think that's something we've kind of gotten our minds so focused on is if you really want to serve the Lord, it's got to be in full-time Christian service. Well, hey, newsflash, if you're a Christian, you're in full-time Christian service, no matter what you're doing. So I would tell them, I, I wish more godly young men would be called to military service because... They absolutely need that light for sure because it is a dark place. I, I've been able to, since I've been been a Christian and the Lord's opened up opportunities, I've, I've seen people receive Christ at in the Mojave Desert, in the, the woods of Texas, in Afghanistan. I saw people saved and baptized and was preaching the gospel in all those places to people that wanted to hear and, and, and cadet training exercises. And seeing people receive Christ in those situations that if there's no believers there, who is going to do that? It's like being a missionary. You know, we're, we're burdened for the foreign lands and everything else. But, man, we have young men and women that need the Lord. And if we just say, oh, it's, it's wicked, you can't go there, it'll, it'll, it'll pollute you. Well, good night, you can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not going to send my kid to work anywhere or go anywhere if that's if that's the justification. So I would just I would just tell him to pray about it, and just like you as a chaplain, you were called into that ministry. I believe that that God call calls people to jobs. Well, also. what's interesting even about my being there, I was serving as a missionary before I went into the army to be a chaplain, and that whole thing of being a chaplain was it was a port, part of my calling. Okay, um, there was a it was a point for me to fulfill my calling. Where I think we have failed a lot, at least in our world and realm, where we have failed a lot is that just what you were saying, we have taught or left it in the mind that calling is to a pulpit ministry or a church planting ministry or something like that. But calling comes to every surrendered heart. Yes. It begins by a surrendered heart. And I was thinking as you're talking about people in the military serving the Lord, I mean, when the Apostle Paul was, uh, you know, he was in prison there in Rome, and uh, he's writing that letter to, might have been when he's writing to the, uh, the Romans, I don't remember, but he speaks about those of Caesar's household, you know. Uh, there, were, there were Christians in Caesar's household. Now, were those family members of Caesar or you know servants of Caesar, soldiers that were serving there under Caesar, whatever it was, 
there were people in this corrupt world, vile world that that was persecuting Christianity, and yet there were people in it that had come to know Christ because someone was there as a light holding forth the word of life. And uh, so, yeah, we need young men, young women to, first of all, surrender their heart to God. Just surrender to the Lord, and the Lord will lead you. He will show you where he wants you to be. 1 Corinthians 7, right, sums it up. 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So there, you, you don't, I got saved, I was in the army. That didn't mean I had to get out of the army. I just abided where I was at and served God mm-hmm. in that calling I was already in. Yeah. So there's that. So the, the there's equality. Doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter what your calling is, as long as God you got that calling from God, you're using it to serve him. Uh, you're you're just as valuable to the kingdom as the pastor behind the pulpit. In fact, the role you have is something that that pastor behind the pulpit can't fulfill. Yep. And I've had the privilege of being on both sides of that, you know, just just ministry wise even. And it's and we've had that discussion. Easy Target has been on both sides of that that fence, so to speak. And and so definitely we need everybody doing that. Now we've talked a lot about the dark side of that. The people expect there's some stuff that goes on inside the military culture, you know. All the four-letter words and 18-letter words mm. they use, mm-hmm. not to mention the acronyms that really I'm throw people you. off. Uh, so they there just are aggravate people. Th- there are those things that people just think, okay, all that's the military life. It means drinking. It means cussing. It means you know just let's talk about the positive things of the military life because there's a whole lot there that we can glean and gain from D- in the world of discipline. You know, you come in as a twenty-something year old, early twenties. You know, what does the military teach you about life discipline? It really teaches you the value of doing what you're told and submitting to a higher power, <laughs> which when you show up, uh, I tell people this a lot, that there's two ways you can do things. You can do it the Army way or you can do it your way. If you decide to do it your way, then there's going to be a lot of discomfort associated with that. And that's the job of the, the mean old drill sergeant is to, to press and hold your reset button. And, and make you conform to doing it the Army's way. So it really becomes a, you know, people people kind of cower at the term brainwashing. But really, that's what it turns into. And at the end of the day, you need to be that way to be a soldier. You need to be conformed to that authority because that's the way you're going to be effective. Because they, they know better than you do. And so the dis- for discipline-wise, I've seen the transformation of my goodness, people that roll in and they have, you can just tell that you don't even know why they're there. Like if you, if, if you're wanting to be such a, a thorn in my side, why'd you even show up for training? And then you, they finally conform and it, it, it really is a transformation that takes place. I don't know if, if it's fair. So I'm going to throw it out there. We've got the 30 year old and the 41 year old here. I know every generation looks at the younger generation and says, they're worse. They don't care. They're apathetic. They're terrible. But is there a reality that the last couple of generations 
may be less disciplined, have less of that those character qualities of self-control and diligence and temperance. Is that something that's happening in this modern era? And are you, did you see that raising up soldiers, so to speak? So maybe maybe that's two different worlds, or do you see it across the board? What do you think? So I, you hear that all the time, and every generation is the one that's like when I joined the army, it was the 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 Desert Storm crowd that was you know back when I was joined the army in in the eighties it was whatever now it's you know it, it was hard when I came through in two thousand then you flash forward and you know you get some time in and it wasn't like it was I think a lot of that is just a bunch of just people there's some kind of pride that comes along with I went through something harder than you did but in context it's difficult for everybody regardless it's all about perspective right so as far as the quality of soldier honestly what I've seen is it has less to do with an overarching cultural difference and it's tied back to just where they're from and who raised them and what their, what belief system and what, what character they bring with them when they show up. But culturally the point that I was getting that, which I wonder, and it sounds like I'm questioning you and I guess maybe I am to get you to answer it, but culturally is there not a difference in the generation today, because this is what we hear, the, the video game generation and all that stuff. That Go ahead, yeah, take it away. Because I was going to ask, I think I think one of the points he might be getting at is, how many guys in the last, let's just be conservative, 10 years have joined the Army with the, mis- with the, with the mentality that, okay, this is going to be just like Call of Duty, versus 30, 40 years ago, you had got more guys joining sense of duty, sense of job security, sense of life straightening out, sense of service. Whereas now, you know, you've, because that, that's, that's a, that's a product of my generation. You know, there were a lot of guys that I remember at 18, 19 years old being like, Psh. there were a lot of people saying, Hey, I'm going to kick indoors and it's going to be just like, you know, this game or whatnot. And there was even a marketing like, I remember there was an Army video game that you could go online and play, and it was really used as a big recruitment tool. It really is no different, though. When I joined the Army, it was Full Metal Jacket, Platoon, Hamburger Hill. I was watching all that stuff going, oh, I can't wait to get some of that. And, you know, you referenced the Call of Duty generation, which was funny. I first started playing Call of Duty in Afghanistan in combat. <laughs> we were in an undisclosed to relieve border stress. outpost. <laughs> And with with twelve guys trying not to get overran by the Taliban in a little concrete room playing Call of Duty, it was wonderful. And we did win that war. We right? we did win okay. that war. Yes, yeah. so it's 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 being won as we speak. Anyway, because we ask everybody when they when they come in, and this is one of the advantages I had as my time as a drill sergeant is just the insight you get from a day zero person coming in from the street. We make them write a one pager of like, why are you here? What made you come here? Because we always, you know, we always tell them you made the worst mistake of your life. Now, honestly, there are some that were like, I thought I was going to be, like, they told me that I was going to be like a mechanic. It's like, well, wrong. You signed up to be a calf scout, so here you are. Stick your hand and, in that toilet. <laughs> Stick your hand in the toilet right now. <laughs> it's better be clean. So, but what I did find, while maybe some of the physicality of the soldier maybe tapered off a little bit over the over the years, the intelligence actually went up. And the reason the Army transitioned to a more of a digital kind of target 
was one, because that was the audience that they were trying to get after. And two, our training was transitioning to that. Like we have a graduated training plan where we would start with, you know, we call them video games, but it's actually at like a simulated platform where we would go into these huge simulator buildings and we're in vehicles on simulators, conducting engagements, doing missions. And then we'd graduate up to where we'd be on train doing it in a field exercise. And then next thing you know, we're overseas doing it for real. So what we found was the aptitude of the soldier went up. Some of the physicality kind of went down, but it, it was a pretty good trade-off because I, I'll take a, a really intelligent soldier that can problem solve dynamically on the move that isn't, you know, a, a physical specimen versus a rock with lips that can do a thousand pull-ups, but, you know, can't tie his boots. Because you can fix that for the most part. Yes, I can, I can fix that part. It, it was an interesting, I have seen that dynamic shift. So hope is not, hope is not lost. I'll put it this way. For 20 years, there have been dumb soldiers. There have been smart soldiers. There have been strong soldiers. There have been weak soldiers. There have been ones you couldn't do anything with and ones you couldn't live without. And that span that spanned 20 years. Probably 200 and it hasn't 240 I would hazard a guess since, now. since 1775. If the, you know, just if the, 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 the common factor is something deeper inside that draws young men, young women to that service that mm-hmm. maybe is, that maybe goes across the generations. It's, it's right. what's the word I'm looking for? It's cross-generational? Just give some, some honest perspective <clears throat> And I talk about this all the time, the, the arena I'm in now with young future officers who are traditionally 18 to 20 years old when I have them, when I'm instructing them. And there is still a sense of duty in those young people. Because think about it. What have they grown up, if they're 20 years old, what have they grown up pretty much their entire life watching? The war on terror, right? Mm-hmm. Some sort of conflict. And so that becomes part of their identity as Americans. Where, you know, I joined in 2000, September 11, 2001 happened. And thrust me into the next, you know, 15 years or so of multiple deployments and things like that. And then you had people joining then because it was really personal because they were there when it happened. They had family members that died or whatever. Well, then now you have this generation now who has grown up their entire life seeing it, hearing about it, uh, seeing the anniversary of the September 11th attacks. And it's just it's part of their and now they have an opportunity. You know what? I want to I want to be a part of this organization that, that's fighting that tyranny and they're still that is still alive you know some people are obviously again for 20 years people have been joining for college money they've been joining to not go to jail they've been joining because they're patriots they've been joining because you know ma and pa were in the army and that's been the same still and that that has not changed we still have young patriotic americans that are joining to be part of something greater than themselves as, as the old saying goes well, there is there is a category that, that that brings up, and maybe maybe the last thing I wanted to ask about specifically, leadership, because you're in a place right now, and obviously it's not anybody who's been in the military that knows anything about how it really works knows it's not all on the shoulders of the officers to lead, but they do carry that mantle of being leaders, and you are there in a place where you're helping shape them, train them. So let's talk about leadership a little bit because one of the things we emphasize in the code of man, we, we really want to help, especially our young guys that we have any influence on, we want to help shape them into be leaders. Not necessarily 10 years from now, but lead right now. And there are certain qualities that come with that. And there are certain things that will hinder you being an effective leader. So 20 years in the Army, I know you've seen good leaders 
and bad leaders. I want to ask you to talk a little bit about those two types of leaders and how did you know when you were seeing a good leader and how did you know when you were seeing a bad leader? Some of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn is from watching somebody do something wrong or watching them do something right. And I learned just as much about forming my leadership style in the military from watching leaders that were, we have a phrase, toxic leadership in the military, where they were just, they weren't treating people with respect. They weren't treating them as, as people. They were just, they were uh, maybe abusing their authority and their power. And you could see that and you immediately knew it was wrong. Common sense. You look at that and go, well, you shouldn't be talking to anybody like that. You shouldn't be doing that. And so you see that and you say, I do not ever want to be that kind of leader. And then on the flip side, you have ones that are doing it right, giving you good perspective and good good things to, to develop you. And so you take the two and combine them into what kind of leader you're going to be. And letting your and that's why I teach the, the cadets. This is what I tell them a lot. You need to be the kind of leader that you would want to follow. That's like kind of my mantra. That's what I tell them on day one. Everything you do here, be the leader that you would want to follow. What, what, what quality of a good leader most stands out? You know, we have an acronym in the Army. Uh, hopefully I can remember it. Um, leadership. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. I see. I, I had forgotten that. I'm impressed. And those, those attributes right there, those are the things that really you can never accomplish all those at once, but it's hard to accomplish any of them without the others, if that makes sense. Because if you're being loyal, then you're being a leader and, and you're, you're, you have a sense of duty because you're being loyal and you have integrity because it takes integrity. To, so they all kind of play off each other. And I think the, the key attributes and competencies a, a leader is going to possess that are the most important are one being honest, honest with, with other people and honest with yourself. There's 11 leadership attributes. I don't have those memorized, but I've... I've they're in a field manual somewhere. They're in a field manual. I can reference it for you if you'd like at a later, at a later date. But one of the, the biggest ones I take from that is, and I, I share this with all those young people that are going to be leaders, know yourself and seek self-improvement. And, and just be secure in who, who you are and keep developing yourself. Yes. Constantly seek self-improvement. That's, that's it. Master Sergeant, soon to be retired, Aaron J. Bibb, thank you for coming today and sharing some experiences with us. Last word to you. We've covered a lot of topics. We've talked about a lot of things. What are what would be something that we haven't covered that you think would be worth mentioning to the men that are listening to this podcast and we're trying to make some application, life, you know, life transition. I mean, seasons, right? Ecclesiastes 3 talks about different seasons. What you can't be afraid of is your life changing seasons. And a lot of military folks, they stay in well past when they probably should because they're afraid of the season ending Hmm. and not realizing that there's another season coming and I'm looking forward to my next season. Like we are, we are just slap excited about the season changing. Um, So, so change isn't necessarily bad. And you know, the Bible teaches that principle that there is a time for a certain season and there's a time for that season to go away and for another season to come. And I'll also say this, one of the things that the military has taught me the most, and this is something that I think that can apply to everybody, because it kind of goes back to that idea of, of fear, fearing the change, fearing the season, is fearing the suffering. I've learned more about myself 
as a person because of the things I've endured and suffered and the hardships that I've been through, whether it's training, whether it's combat, whether it just all just 20 years of living, I mean, for all intents and purposes, a pretty hard life, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. There's a lot of things that go into that. And what that's done, though, is it's really shown me a lot about who I am, about what I have to rely on. And, and it's, it's the old adage of, you know, you, you have to put something in fire to purge it, to purify it. So I think a lot of maybe even young men, they're afraid of the discomfort of life for whatever reason, not understanding that th- that stress and that trial and that trouble is what's going to turn them into who they're going to be in the next 20 years, 20 years from now. I would say that's an excellent exclamation on the end of the conversation. Now, I, I won't say that I've already given you a code of man, honorary code of man card and that maybe you lost it. I won't suggest that that's a possibility, but just in case that has happened. Okay, so we've got a code of man, laminated edition, code of man card to give you today. We've got also a from the code of man library. This is a prestigious copy. Hardback. We don't always give hardback versions of anything. This is a copy of Stephen Mansfield's Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and uh, it may even have a Douglas MacArthur quote in it or two. It does. But, but we want to give you this as a guest. I can't wait to read the uh, the teary dedication that you wrote in the front of it. Me neither. And then <laughs> thirdly, thirdly, I want to bestow upon you, what do you call this? A sign. A placard. A placard. A placard, yes. The airport placard. Not like jean but... A placard that that was held up today when you arrived at the airport near our undisclosed location. It simply says bib. <laughs> also, <laughs> we'd like to invite you to have a few cookies. I want an animal cracker. I do want one of those. When that's over, but uh, we want to be out of the room when you open that, please. With that being said, this is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying happy trails to you. This is AJ Bib. Tell Gruber I said hey and keep her between the ditches. And Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying good morning, good afternoon, and good night. In the heart of a champion, there.